1: Thank you, Clark like Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 325th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday and brought to you today by AHIMA, the American Health Information Management Association. And joining me this morning as my co-host is the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, M.D., Incorporated. Good morning, Erica, and welcome to the broadcast.
2: Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone.
1: This morning, our lead story is about women's health. It's a national women's health week, and it's a subject with which you're quite familiar <laughs> because I'm a woman. Indeed you are. You're a mother, a wife, a daughter, and a doctor. And all the guests on today's broadcast are all women.
2: My friend Lisa Banker will report on women's health issues from her perspective.
1: That's right. She's the Chief Physician Advisor for Case Management at Cloud Health in South Carolina.
2: And also on the broadcast is Dr. Vanita Manaraj. She's the Medical Director at Hackensack Meridian
1: Health. And Kathy Merchlin has our CDI report. It's an upbeat twist on CDIs we're going to learn later in the broadcast. And we begin this morning with Lori Johnson. She's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News
0: Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to register now for a June 6th webcast with Rose Dunn on Becoming Proficient with HCCs. Here now is Lori Johnson.
3: Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. Today we are honoring Women's Health Week. According to WebMD, the top five health issues for women are heart disease, breast cancer, osteoporosis, depression, and autoimmune diseases. Let's focus this morning on documentation integrity for these conditions. Heart disease requires further specificity. We need to know, is it coronary artery disease, and then if it's that... Is that disease native or the bypassed vessels? And what are associated conditions such as angina or coronary spasm? Heart disease could be a valvular disease. So is it mitral, is it aortic, or is it a combination of those valves? Is the condition a hypertensive condition such as with congestive heart failure? And if it's with congestive heart failure, is that heart failure diastolic Systolic or combined. And then once we know the type of heart failure, we would need to know the acuity. Is it acute? Is it chronic? Or is it acute on chronic? The next condition is breast cancer. Most of the breast cancer codes are found in category C, as in CAT 50 or 50. So for this diagnosis, we know, need to know the quadrant of the breast that is the origin of the cancer. We would also need to know laterality, and believe it or not, gender are also part of the codes that make it specific. We would also like to capture additional factors such as what the estrogen receptor status is, if there's family history, and the genetic susceptibility. Osteoporosis it's important to know is, is this with current pathologic fracture or without because that determines the category that is applicable for the code. If the patient has a current fracture, then the anatomic location with laterality when applicable is important. Screening for osteoporosis can be captured using Z13.820. Depression is actually a non-specific code as well. This condition can be further specified as by identifying is it single versus a recurrent episode, and the severity. Is it mild, moderate, severe, or severe with psychotic features. There is a proposed new code for fiscal year nineteen. That is specific to screening for depression. So rather than being a non specific code, it is very specific and says screening for depression, and that code is Z13.31. Autoimmune, autoimmune diseases is a very generic diagnosis. There are o- over 80 diseases included in this group, including lupus, multiple sclerosis and type 1 diabetes. Again, it's important to be specific. So we would know which of the autoimmune diseases that we are dealing with. For more information on these women health issues, please read my article on www.icd10monitor.com. Back to you, Chuck.
1: Thanks, Lori, very much. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. It's Tuesday, May 15th, 2018, and you're listening to the 325th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by.
0: Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by AHIMA, the American Health Information Association, inviting you to not one, but two great meetings in Baltimore. Attend the CDI Summit, the premier industry event of the year, August 6th and 7th to hear the nation's leading CDI experts speak about the challenges and successes affecting the CDI industry. Then stay for the CDI Academy, August 8th through 10th, to learn ways to develop and enhance your existing CDI program. And for a limited time, when you register for both the CDI Summit and CDI Academy, you'll receive 50% off admission to CDI Academy. But hurry, this offer ends on June 5th. Visit ahema.org backslash CDI combo to register. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Today we
1: have an upbeat twist to our CDI report. Here now to explain is Kathy Merchlin. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome to the program. Tell us about your CDI report.
4: Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. In honor of Women's National Health Week, I would like to raise a torch to the strength of women working in healthcare. This story is one of the transformation of a revitalized CDI department that has pursued success through the strength of women, and we are celebrating daily. Not to undermine the contributions of our male counterparts, this story is one of empowered women that will inspire you to reach deep into your creative minds. Many of us would describe an empowered woman in the HIM industry as one that pre-orders the latest and greatest resources to ensure she has adopted the model of proven success. Oddly, much of Kettering Health Network's transition to a winning CDI team has occurred because we've lost our map. We have dared to branch out into uncharted waters, but by joining hands with the strength of girl power, it's working." May I encourage you to contemplate a few not so new theories, but unknown territories for many of us type A HIMers? For starters, allow yourself to daydream. Gift yourself with a ride in your car and enjoy the silence. No audiobooks, no traffic reports, no repeat hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Actually, I don't think there were any hits in the 90s. Allow your creative mind to ask yourself, what if we tried this? What if we kept doing that, but tried it this way? As we started this exercise, I often heard replies of, oh, we've tried that. It didn't work. Been there, done it. My answer with a mischievous smile is, well, let's try it this way. Stand firm on your faith that ideas generated during a silent journey are fueled by your inner creativity, your inspiration, reflected onto a mirror of now scripted thoughts that are simply asking for action steps. Next, take a self-analysis. Determine how you best fit into the big picture of this newly inspired screenplay. There are many personal assessment tools available. Our network utilized the DISC Workplace Profile Assessment. Our time spent working through the DISC assessment and its results provided the groundwork for each woman's strengths and how to best utilize them in our journey. Consider this packing your luggage. Stretch your arms out as far as they reach to the left and right and stand up as tall as your frame allows and own your results. Now you're ready for the trip. But the next step can be rough, ladies, but it's required You must break free from fear. Many inspirations laid on the brains and hearts of women go untapped, laid to rest in a beautiful field of our favorite spring flowers, but there our daydreams and ideas lay motionless and often forgotten. Ladies, don't waste any more time. Throw your fear out the back window with your pitchfork that you just used to kill your fear and prepare yourself for the final step. Take the lead. Put your creative ideas, absent of fear, into motion. Project it with yourself placed exactly where you best fit with your strength, whether it's the author in need of actors, the director, the producer, but it's on paper, in motion, joined by your team of peers that support you. I am honored to be mentored by empowered women. I am lifted up every day by my coworkers who have daydreamed and put nothing to rest. There is no checklist on how to arrive, but I am enjoying defining my own path, surrounded with a great amount of talent and desire to succeed.
2: Let's celebrate women in healthcare. Thank you. Off to you, Erica. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing your excellent approach. I know personally how you empower your staff, and you live what you preach. It is amazing what you are achieving. That was my good friend, Kathy Merchland. Kathy is the manager of Documentation Excellence, the Kettering Health Network in Dayton, Ohio. Chuck?
1: Thanks, Erica, and thank you very much, Kathy, and you can read Kathy's inspiring story of how she rebranded her CDI department in the ICD-10 Monitor E-News that was distributed earlier this morning. We're reporting on women's health issues as we recognize that this is National Women's Health Week. Here now with her perspective on women's health is Dr. Lisa Banker. Good morning, Dr. Banker.
5: Good morning. Thank you, Chuck. Health and wellness for women is a journey. It's global and longitudinal. We celebrate progress made every year, every decade, and every generation. Women may say they want to be treated the same as men, but what they really want is access to the same opportunities, whether that's education, wages, jobs, respect, or health care. We all deserve good health care with equally good quality outcomes. To get that, it must be understood. Women are different. One-size-fits-all health care will not get women on an equal health footing with men. Women have different bodies, different body sizes, different hormonal environments, different body fat distribution. Drugs have to be carefully studied because we may metabolize them differently. Smaller devices may have to be made that work for us. Diseases may differ in women, such as the varying symptoms by gender with a number one killer like heart disease. A study by Strayface in 2012 suggested that cells have a sex. There were gender cytology differences in how cells died. And that has implications for pharmacology research. It's important that clinical trials include women and are directed to unique female issues. We can see the impact of better research by generation, mine, my daughter's, and my mother's. To my mother's generation, 30 years ago, the average life expectancy for a woman was 78, and now it's 81 and climbing. Chronic disease management is getting better. The quality of life for older American women is improving. Caregiver support has to become a front-burner issue. Two-thirds of caregivers are women. Fair or not, that's our culture. How can we improve the health for the infirm and aged and the caregiver herself? At least those conversations are being had. As a health consumer of my own generation and as a physician in it, I think about several things. In 1993, the National Institutes of Health was ordered to get women included in clinical trials. It was such a simple, logical action, and what impact? More than 50% of participants in clinical trials funded by the government are now women. That's not the way it was 25 years ago. The Women's Health Initiative, begun in 1991, included more than 160,000 women aged 50 to 79 and studied breast and colon cancer, osteoporosis, and cardiovascular disease over 15 years. Back then, I was a doctor diligently prescribing hormonal replacement therapy. Then, because of this directed research, I learned this therapy increased risk for breast cancer, heart disease, strokes, and blood clots. I learned that osteoporosis benefit might not be worth the risk. It shaped my medical practice. Clinical research answers real questions, makes us better docs, makes us a healthier society, and informs our treatment decisions. It is life-altering. 30 years ago, the death rate for breast cancer peaked at 33 deaths per 100,000 women, and treatment was a mastectomy. Now, the death rate's at 20 deaths or less per 100,000 and falling. Treatment is a lumpectomy and radiation. Hormonal treatments are standard. Genetic mutations are now better understood. All of this has been driven by research, life-saving. For my daughter, smoking rates in women have dropped precipitously, and that's going to have a huge public health impact in the future. Young women have more and better choices of effective methods of birth control. We now know oral contraceptives reduce cancer risk. In 2013, birth rates for teens aged 15 to 19 dropped to a record low, not seen since 1946, and that's across all races. Think about that ripple effect. Less baby mamas, more education, better jobs, and better health for generations. The public health efforts we see directed toward violence against women. A woman's body is hers, consent matters, and the words stop and no must be honored. It's all women's health. Women are living longer. They're surviving cancer, HIV, and heart disease more than ever. Women's health has to remain a national priority. And we need research on sex, gender, racial, social, and environmental differences in health and on the diseases that affect women across the lifespan. Research data has to be analyzed by sex and reports reported. When we improve women's health, we improve the health of families,
2: communities, and countries. Thanks. Erica? Wow. Thank you, Lisa. That was really enlightening. That was another of my friends, Dr. Lisa Banker. Lisa is the chief physician advisor and vice president for case management at McLeod Health in South Carolina. Chuck?
1: Thanks, Erica. And Dr. Banker, thank you so very much for a very inspiring report. We're pleased also to recognize another physician on our broadcast this morning. She is Dr. Benita Majaraj. She is the medical director at Hackensack Meridian Health. And good morning, Dr. Manaraj. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday.
6: Thank you, Chuck, and thank you to all the listeners on this morning's broadcast. As a woman physician, I'm excited to be on this edition of Talk 10 Tuesday dedicated to women's health. I'm glad the spotlight is on women this week that began with Mother's Day, the goal being to remind women to set aside time for their health. As a general internist, one of my areas of emphasis is preventive health, and so I'd like to encourage all women to go to their primary care providers and get their much-needed annual exams if they haven't, and more importantly, the recommended annual and periodic cancer screening tests such as mammograms, colonoscopies, or pap smears as indicated for various age groups. If your employer allows you to participate in a wellness incentive program, take advantage of it. Typically, this program allows you to earn a dollar amount every paycheck for meeting wellness goals. These parameters could include a blood pressure, lipid panel, weight, etc., and this allows you to earn money for taking care of your own health. Also, this is a good time to to revisit your health and activity patterns and try to make positive changes. If you want to improve your fitness, get an activity tracker like Fitbit or any of the others in the market to help monitor your fitness-related metrics like steps taken or calories burnt, etc. I know I got one a few years ago. It was a life changer. I didn't realize how sedentary I had been until I was informed that I barely walked a thousand steps in a day unless I consciously and willingly made an effort to increase my activity. Focusing on women's health, I'd like to make special mention of heart disease, which is the number one killer of women in the United States. Women, as compared to men, are more likely to experience atypical and subtle symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, neck, shoulder, upper back pain, or dizziness while experiencing a heart attack. So women seek attention in a timely manner. Last but not least, great mental health is really important and foundational to good physical health as well, so take some time to rejuvenate mentally and address stress in your lives. I would love to take this opportunity to speak about women empowerment. I would be amiss if I didn't espouse uh, women's leadership causes on a great broadcast like this with such a diverse audience. Part of my metamorphosis from a hospitalist to a full-time physician advisor was fraught with leadership challenges, some that are unique to women. But over the years, I've been so encouraged to meet other women physician advisors like me, and we've learned from each other's experiences. In an era where women are increasingly asserting themselves in the workplace, I'd like to take this opportunity to encourage women to take on leadership roles, build visibility, take on challenges, take some risks, and not settle for the status quo. Also, mentor other women, volunteer in committees, do not avoid the elephant in the room, have those difficult conversations, and if you're on the sidelines like I was a few years ago, take the plunge into leadership and do your life's most rewarding work. I'd like to end by reflecting on the, reward, on the rewarding aspects of this career as a physician advisor, the positive changes that I've been able to affect both in the way physicians practice and the physician trainees that I've been able to mentor. And I hope to be able to pass on the wealth of knowledge to the next generation of physician advisors, especially women. Thank you once again, Chuck, and your team, and back to you, Erica.
2: That was Vanita Manaraj. Vanita is the medical director at Hackensack Meridian Health in Hackensack, New Jersey.
1: Thanks, Erica, very much. And Dr. Montaraj, thank you so much for a very inspiring story. And you can read her story in next Tuesday's edition of the ICD 10 Monitor E News. By the way, you can now hear us live. You can hear us also on demand. You can hear us anytime, anywhere. It's absolutely free. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and of course Google Play. We continue our reporting on women's health issues, and back with us again is Dr. Erica Reamer with a very popular segment called Talk Back. Chuck,
2: I sent you an article I saw in Medscape last week that totally creeped me out, and you asked me to share it with our listeners, probably so I can creep them out, because it fit into our theme of National Women's Health Week. Dr. Arthur Kaplan is a Ph.D. and established and heads up the Division of Medical Ethics an NYU school of medicine. He wrote that a medical student had emailed him with a concern about the practice of performing a pelvic examination under anesthesia without explicit consent. As an aside, when I contacted him, for some reason I assumed the medical student was male. What a sexist pig I am. Anyway, Dr. Kaplan's article noted that four students had similarly done an exam during the same encounter. The details about what type of surgical procedure were missing from the story. If it were a gynecologic procedure where instruments were to be placed in the vagina, I might not be as appalled. But if the surgery were not gynecologically related, alarm is the appropriate response. The only word for this is violation. If a patient had an intact hymen, it would even be harmful and would be counter to our Hippocratic oath to do no harm. In any case, it boggles my mind that it is not so obviously unethical and immoral so as to preclude anyone from performing this act. The article went on to state that this practice is widespread and that this practice is illegal in only four states, Hawaii, California, Illinois, and Virginia. I wonder if medical students are routinely being encouraged to perform rectal exams under anesthesia without prior consent to learn how to examine prostates or testicular exams. I highly doubt it. Interestingly, prior to clicking on page two, this story made me think of Larry Nasser and the USA Gymnastics Atrocity. Great minds think alike because Dr. Kaplan used that exact example to explain that touching someone without their consent in an intimate area is both unethical and illegal. Of course, in, in uh, Nasser's case, minors would, aren't in a position to consent anyway, but that's neither here nor there. The article referenced a poll by a Canadian medical student that 72% of the doctors and medical students she had asked had done medical exams on unconscious patients without obtaining consent. I was doubly disappointed because this also shatters my myth of Canadians being morally superior to us in this day and age. As a medical student, if I had been instructed to perform a pelvic exam on an anesthetized patient knowing she had not been asked for consent, I would have refused. I hate to confess this, though, but I am not sure I would have reported my superior unless he or she gave me pushback on my refusal. I wonder if some hapless medical students just assume consent has been obtained if their teacher is telling them to do a pelvic exam. It would never occur to me that someone would bypass consent for something so invasive and make me complicit in doing something so morally reprehensible. My medical school hired surrogates to train us. These women were paid for their service and they were able to gently guide us and give us feedback. I distinctly remember my thin pelvic model instructing me to palpate more laterally to feel her ovary. I don't know what our listeners will get from this other than uneasiness about whether they have been personally violated during some random surgery. Do we really need to explicitly just say no to our surgeons and anesthesiologists? Back to you, Chuck.
1: Thank you very much, Erica. Uh that was Dr. Erica reamer with a very popular segment called Talk Back. You can read her story in next Tuesday's edition of the ICD 10 Monitor E News. Now's the time for some questions and answers. And I want to bring everybody around for a little bit of a virtual round table with me. Of course, Laurie Johnson, Kathy Merchel, and Doctors Lisa Banker, and Benita and of course Dr. Erica reamer And so here's a question uh for the group. It comes from Steve. He says, How should we approach research on differences in traditional male-female health issues? with the current trend in considering gender, sex, identity as something fluid and part of a spectrum. So open it up for some responses.
3: This is Laurie Johnson, and I think um, in dealing with the traditional, traditional male, female health issues, I think there's a key in how the patient is registered because you have to know um, what, they, what gender they are chromosomally as well as how what gender they identify with because knowing the gender they identify with helps the healthcare folks how to address that patient but knowing the gender that they are anatomically is important as we are coding assigning codes so that we do not hit
2: those gender edits And Chuck, I think that uh, Lisa may want to chime in on this, but um, I think that especially if you're doing research, the biological uh, gender is important because um, regardless of what you identify as, your cells, like, so for instance, when we're talking about breast cancer, and um, Lori mentioned that there's uh, a difference in the code as to whether it's male or female, um, I think that it's what you really are trying to get at is the genetics of it. And it actually is very interesting because um, if you have a patient that is registered as a female but you're trying to use a code that's a male code, um, oftentimes it gets kicked out. So I don't really know how they're addressing that sort of an issue.
1: Dr Banker, a reaction to that question.
2: I pretty much would second
5: what Erica said. I mean it's interesting because some of the things I mentioned how you know cells in cytology death have some sort of, you know, sexual feature to them. So I think with medicine, no matter how a person identifies sexually, you can't you can never omit the genetics from the equation at all. So that's always going to be a part of this and it is going to be interesting as we get more sensitive to these issues how we're going to try and set up these codes and, and registration issues to try and identify, you know, who, what people identify as but still keeping their genetics involved because you have to do that medically.
1: Thank you, Dr. Banker. Erica, I want to go back and uh, circle back because there was a question from our friend Ron.
2: I think Ron started typing it before I even finished my thing because I basically said um, that I think that some medical students wouldn't even know enough to, like, ask whether there had been consent or not, because if your teacher were to say to you, okay, do a pelvic examination, you might just assume that if they're instructing you to do it, that they obviously would have gotten consent because it might just seem wrong to you. I think, you know, the bigger problem really that I didn't really address is that there's probably some folks who this didn't seem like it was wrong to them. And that's just a different
1: issue. Thank you very much, Erica, for that commentary, and thanks, Ron, for your question, and uh, thank you very much, Steve, for your question. I think that's going to be a wrap for this edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and I want to thank you all for being with us today. Uh, remind you to be with us next Tuesday for another edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, but this is going to be a wrap for this one. This is our 325th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and Erica and I, of course, want to thank our guests this morning. We want to thank Dr. Lisa Banker. Dr. Banker, thanks very much for a very inspiring uh Discussion this morning. Lori Johnson, thanks for the discussion of the ICD 10 codes, codes especially for women. Kathy Merchant, thank you so much, uh, Kathy, for your very inspiring story on how you have rebranded your CDI department. By the way, you can read Kathy's story in today's edition of the ICD 10 Monterey News. And Dr. Vina Manjaro, thank you for being with us. That was very inspiring, and we look forward to your coming back and joining us again. We hope you're going to be right back here next Tuesday for another edition of Talking Tuesday. Until then, I am Chuck Buck, speaking on behalf of Dr. Erica Reamer and everyone here at Talk Ten Tuesday ICD Ten Monitor. Have a great week! And remember, you can listen to us on demand anytime, anywhere. It's now available. You can listen to us on TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple
0: Podcasts, and of course, all the other platforms. Thanks again, and have a great week, everyone. Talk Ten Tuesday is a production of ICD Ten Monitor.